good or higher. This could mean many things. Oh, killer. Thank you. That means one thing. Hallelujah. Cool. Let's see if that's any better. Does that feel good? About right? Not yet. I was uh, considering what to talk about. And I was taken back to the beginning of my practice, in particular with these phrases. It felt kind of like Dharma detention, you know? May I be happy, may I be safe, may <laughs> You know, when you sink low enough to even try this, you know, like I'm just going to just repeat it to myself over and over and over. Oh, man. It was my uh, sworn enemy, these uh, Brahma Viharas, you know. I just didn't know the feeling, even louder. That's what I hear. Okay, I'll just make it a little closer. Thank you. I guess uh, I had spent so much of my life estranged from my own heart that I wasn't sure that, well, I doubted whether I deserved my own friendliness and my own love. But upon seeing what I was serving myself, I doubt that I deserved that either. You know, so it was just kind of this, I, I hadn't left, I had left one shore, but hadn't arrived on the other. And that was a, it felt like a long journey for me. And my teachers made it very simple. You know, one of them said, you know, there's just, there's two things inside you, what's loved and what's longing to be loved. Sounded so nice. <laughs> but my inner experience didn't look anything like the pamphlets. The catalog paled in comparison to the mayhem that was happening in this general vicinity. So I had to come face to face with um, some real beliefs, you know, some, some things that I believed about myself. The teachings assured me. I, I studied pretty diligently. And uh, like, look, the, the mind, your heart is naturally radiant. And what we're going to be working on is these visiting tendencies of the mind. Like visiting tendencies. They, this sounds so playful. <laughs> visiting tendencies. I, I'm cool with that. I can, I can have a visiting tendency. <laughs> it sounded so impersonal. And uh, that's not at all how I was experiencing them. So I want to unpack that a bit. These five hindrances. And what are they a hindrance to? Hmm. Clear seeing. 
they hinder clear seeing. So we want to know their presence and their absence. But I'll, I'll list them out and I'll take them one by one and it'll, it probably won't feel like enough, right? Because each one of them could be its own talk. So the first one is uh, sense pleasure, sense desire. Uh, and there's aversion, a way of uh, refusing reality. Sloth and torpor. Uh, restlessness. And then finally doubt. And we can see them as habits. And some of, them, some of us have practiced these habits with a monastic discipline, you know? Yeah. But I'm interested in how do we work with them? Not how do we get rid of them? That was the first decade. I just wanted to push them away. I just thought that they were the problem. Their presence is the problem. It's so easy to believe. Because the way they uh, present themselves, yeah, we'll get into it. I noticed that whenever they would arise, there would be an instant contraction. You know, that kind of push. <coughs> a lot of my energy was spent in that push. So there wasn't a lot left for investigation, clear seeing, seeing what else was arising. It was a lot of tightness. I think that was mainly because of what I made their presence mean. I thought it meant that uh, I hadn't gotten anywhere on the path or it was some, it said something essential about me. So I was a bit over-identified with these states. I don't know if any of you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> But when seen through and experienced through the Dharma lens, these same habits, tendencies, uh, can provide great insight and wisdom into our patterns. So how do we understand uh, this path of practice where I look back on my life and I know that I, I've grown through the difficulties more than the easy parts of my life. And yet, I run from the difficulties like I'm on fire, you know? Like I just can't get away fast enough because I think that they are the problem or I believe that in that moment, right? But those are the places, the places where I'm vulnerable, the places that are challenging, those are the places that we wake up, that I wake up. The places that are easy for us to practice don't usually have the power to really transform us. They're, pl they're pleasant. They're enjoyable but not transformative. Hmm. 
Another thing that I struggled with a bit in recognizing the hindrances was a lifetime of trying to withhold love from the parts of myself that I didn't feel like were lovable. So I was in some way trying to do my best with sincerity, really trying to hate myself into becoming a better person. I had a lot of conditioning there. So we have to know that we're always practicing something. So it behooves us to know what we're practicing. What are we practicing? In the presence of the hindrance or otherwise? As we open up to any one of them, we also open up to the experience of them, which can be challenging, but we also open up to the understanding of them. And through our understanding, we can change our relationship to them. And I get to see a lot of people that are new to practice. I've been doing a dropping group for a long time and get to meet with people that are uh, on their first retreats. In my experience, um, when talking with them, is usually that the there's a sense that they're just starving for themselves, like an experience of themselves, you know, because we have so many things that are vying for our attention. So let's start with sense pleasure, sense desire, a lot of action there. And it can manifest in so many different ways. It's amazing how powerful wanting is. I experience it a lot. It's a kind of a tunnel vision for me where everything else falls away. And I just think if I could have that, I'm cool. If I could just have that, whatever that that is, right? Many times it was the relationship with the partner I saw or a job or an apartment where I was sure if I moved in, my whole life would be different. I would jog, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, my whole, you know, the whole thing would be different. Mm. This is a natural energy of this realm, this wanting and desire gets contracted into craving, idealization, uh, identification. Very essentialized. Hmm. When things become our whole world with this kind of, it's like you're looking through a keyhole and it's the only thing that's present. Hmm. Now if you... Um, 
like me, maybe there was a sense that I was always getting somewhere. I was always about to break through, you know? I was about to be, I was, you know, I was going to be love really soon. But I was dogged by all this doubt of like, when would the water be warm enough for me to jump in? Because it's been like a few months away for the last 40 years. <laughs> so, so I had to really ask myself some serious questions about arriving. Because I felt like some other moment was going to hold what this one doesn't. That something was missing. And it just never occurred to me that that something was my presence. My presence. So wanting is endless. So understanding craving becomes part of our practice. And we have to distinguish uh, pleasure from sensual pleasure. Because there can be a pleasure that's very nourishing. There can be a pleasure that's wholesome. Maybe you've had a moment of that today, or yesterday, or in your practice. And I think we know the difference, you know? When we get into these lists, sometimes it's like, well, how do I know what is what? And I think we know, I think we have a very good sense of the kind of pleasure that never satisfies and the kind that has the ability to satisfy. Yeah. I, get, I either get contracted or I feel open and free. And I get, it's like a preview. Whenever I'm even thinking about it, it's like, am I lost in a dream and fixated and tight? Or is there some connection to uh, uh, like a nourishing vibe? Mm. So is there goodness present or is there contraction present? We can know that. Mm. I guess after a long history of not knowing what part of my experience I could trust, um, I moved rather slowly. One place that I could generally find the truth was my breathing. My breathing would change. It would let me know whether I was contracted or not, or fixated, or lost, or connected. So I got in the habit of uh, coming into the body. There I began to notice, well, what's nourishing, what's a hindrance? If we stay tuned to the actuality of what is arising and what is passing away, it's actually fairly clear. Most of the joy of fulfilling desires is not so much that you get the thing, right? But it's... Um, 
that the wanting has stopped. That's what actually delivers. It's like, oh, you're not contracted anymore. Doesn't that feel killer? Yes. Every time. Every time. So when we talk a lot about letting go. And that's actually one of the things we let go of. The next four on the list uh, reads like a laundry list of things I don't like. Right? The first one, it, it kind of pulls me into the list. Like, oh, sense desire? Yeah, tell me more. And it's just like, oh, these other ones? Come, all right. So it has to be a genuine interest in uh, seeing and experiencing them. You know. So aversion, sleep, Restlessness and doubt. And even desire, to a certain extent, can be seen through the lens of uh, avoidance. A lot of times, that's what's at the root of the hindrances. What am I avoiding? So I'm going to just touch a little bit on each of these. So next up is aversion. Sometimes uh, ill will is uh, translated in the same way, where uh, there's there's generally talked about like three types of people uh, in in the cosmology, where there's like greed types or deluded types or aver- people with aversion, like myself. I know I'm an aversive type because I don't even like that word. <laughs> Even that word is not enough. And we can have aversion to aversion, which can feel really exhausting. Yeah, it's this habit of refusing reality, how it is that I'd like it to be a little bit more. I heard Aaron talking about it last night. First, I like the frame that we're, what we're doing here is orienting toward care. That is a beautiful way to frame the practice. And then the violence of more, better, different. That aggression that we can have. Uh, we just want it to be a little bit kinder. Strange. How could we ever get there like that? So, the next three tiredness, regret, and doubt. And they're not bound by any particular sequence, Uh, they generally roll as a posse. So, you might have a multiple hindrance attack, you know? They're not as uh, clearly delineated. Hmm. But really, it's a, a definition of turning away. Right. And there's a whole bunch of stuff that we should turn away from, that it's okay to turn away from, right? the unwholesome uh, aspects. 
Again, how do we know what's supportive and what's unhealthy? Hmm. Yeah, so trust is part of this practice. Coming to trust that I'll know the tone. I can feel it in the breath. I can feel it in the body. And there's a lot of opportunities for these to arise, these hindrances. When we're turning away from uh, experience, there's a kind of a resistance, and that can be very agitating to the animal of our bodies. I'm not of the opinion that these hindrances, uh, that we'd be better off without them, or that they shouldn't arise. I try to understand them through, um, how can I care about this? What has this come here to teach me? And is there something deeper that I'm avoiding? You know, if I wasn't lost in the story of it. sleepiness or sloth. Hmm. This is another habit of going unconscious. Hmm. Yeah, the, I think the mind has two main functions, doing and knowing. And uh, the way of meditation is to calm the doing while maintaining the knowing. Hmm. Sleepiness occurs when, when we carelessly calm both the doing and the knowing. And then there's a, there can be a dullness where we're unable to distinguish between them. This tiredness, I've, I've had it for a lot of my life, a bit of tiredness. Oddly enough, mixed with some restlessness. So I'm energetic in a way I don't like. And I'm tired in a way that I don't like. like. Killer. Running into the arms of the Dharma with this kind of nervous system. <laughs> but again, the, the tiredness is not an ordinary tiredness. The, there's a quality of avoidance to that. And so it can be easy to feel driven um, so much of our world is driven by a sense of worth, by how much we're doing, right? There's a lot of, you know, you ask somebody how they're doing and they tell you what they're doing, right? This is how busy I am. Super important person. <laughs> but we can be driven like that in an unhealthy way, right? So I had spent a lot of time on the road uh, working with high school kids. Beautiful work, very, very uh, heartfelt, social, emotional intelligence, thousands and thousands of kids. It was beautiful. But I noticed that there was a some compulsion in there. There was some sense of urgency that I just had to get 
to the next hundred, to the next hundred, to the next. And you know, I got up to uh, uh, over a hundred thousand kids. You see what I'm saying about the that it could never be satisfied. There would not be a number where it was just like, okay, my work is done. There would always be this tanha, this thirst. And it could be a wholesome uh, desire to serve. But when I plumbed the depths of that feeling, like, why is this like this for me now? Why is this present? Why is it expressing itself in this way or manifesting like this? And I noticed some egoic need. And I noticed it again just now when I said 100,000 kids. Present. I see you. So there was some contraction there. So how do we tend to contraction? Hmm. When we're talking about this uh, tiredness, we have to be able to distinguish between uh, contentment and stillness or or the heavy weight of being unmotivated. Next up is restlessness. And, and sometimes uh, regret is put in this category as well. The rhythm of our culture is to keep it moving. You have to, we have to be very deliberate if we want any kind of space in our life. Because we could go from the car to the radio to the computer to the family, to work, and there's hardly any space. Because now with these phones, you could always be doing something. You don't have to do nothing, ever, even if you want to. So it's, we have to like bake it into our day. Where can I have some space? Yeah, from Netflix to shopping to the internet to the phones and all of these things in and of themselves, they don't, they're not a problem. Again, it's how are we uh, in service to them? How are they in service to us? When we feel compulsion, are we in the habit of slowing down and stopping? How does it feel to be on the move in that way through the world? I was on the move in such a way. I mean, I had a lot of people that care about me. I have very deep, meaningful relationships. But when you're on the move like that, you can't even receive love because you're busy. We can receive love when we're being. When we're doing, it's just like, yeah. 
We got to be willing to drop into our experience. Hmm. You know, we might feel a lot of mental agitation. This is a clear indicator that we are under the influence of a hindrance. We want to know what we're under the influence of. Right? If I don't know, right, like just imagine that, that you were super hungry. You know when you get hungry and if you're anything like me, you're cranky and short with people and it gets real weird quick. Now imagine you didn't know you were hungry. It's like, what the hell is happening to me? We wouldn't, we wouldn't know, right? So we have to know like, oh, no, you're just hungry. Oh, you're just cold. Oh, the hindrances are present. There's something here to be investigated, to be seen, to be known. A lot of uh, our busyness comes from this desire to fulfill ourselves in some way. And uh, we can use that same energy to wake us up. You know, without the compulsion, without the urgency. But there's a lot of passion in that energy. There can be. Last one is a big one to hold this doubt a very very powerful hindrance you can feel like we're lost questioning everything but not in a way that's helpful right I, I think I think skepticism is healthy I think we should question things but cynicism maybe not so much tricky part about doubt is it can camouflage as just about anything. A lot of times it camouflages or masquerades itself as wisdom. Right? So we're like, yo, I don't want to throw this out. This is, might be some really good shit. Even in the letting go practice, right? There can be, we want to let everything go through, right? We're, we're meditating, what could go wrong? <laughs> well, we're sitting there and it's like, just let it all go. It's like, no, but this is insight, dude. This is insight, dude. This is why you came here. <laughs> it's like, really? And now all of a sudden I'm like, but I have 37 minutes left of this meditation. <laughs> They told me to not write anything down. <laughs> and now I have to repeat this to myself. <laughs> this is the way to freedom. This is the way to freedom. <laughs> and doubt can have me wondering whether this is the right practice. You know? It really can. Yeah. I want to get into that a bit more. Sometimes it disguises itself as compassion. It's like, look. You know what would be loving right now? 
to skip a couple sessions and go take a nap, dude. <laughs> Have some compassion for yourself, dude. Anybody? Good. So sometimes it's hard to um, identify. Uh, doubt comes with so much authority, you know. This is what's happening. Let me assure you. The practice is about seeing how we're caught. Right? When we're caught. When we're unhindered. How do we know it? Because we're present and we're watching ourselves. And it's like catch and release. Hundreds of times today there was catch and release, right? You grasped. You felt the contraction. You let go. Grasped, right? Over and over. Moment by moment. Trying to train ourselves to not cling. I think knowing that the hindrances are present can just make a world of difference. Even if we don't know how to get rid of them, even if we don't know how to work with them yet, just the noting, just I'm under the influence. Because the moment they're seen or recognized, they lose some power, right? The only way illusion works is if we mistake it for reality, right? So that moment of like, I see you, I'm not lost in it. It's not, who, it, yeah, before that I might, it might be coloring everything I see. But once I see, it's like, oh. It's not that it immediately goes away, but I'm not lost in it. I'm not completely immersed in it like I was a moment ago before I knew what was happening. So we start to see where our patterns are. Right? And that happens when we stop. We start noticing. Do I have a tendency to get irritated all the time? Or a tendency to go to sleep? Or a tendency to eat in a void? Right? We all have our ways of checking out. Maybe we use desire in a certain way. We have this tendency. I think what's kept me interested in practice was this desire to actually be alive, to be present. It, it, it sounds weird, but Our practice either delivers us to the present moment or from it, right? So we're looking to how are we present with this? We're not looking for some spiritual bypass that's going to make everything okay someday and deliver us somewhere else. I want to be 
I want to be here. And so the first step is knowing what's arisen, right? So maybe we're aware of one of the hindrances. So we can acknowledge that that energy has arisen. And recognizing and naming something, that's a good start, but it has to be in the service of wisdom. The awareness alone is not enough. So we start there, it breaks a little bit of the spell. And then when we apply the wisdom aspect, right? so for me, I, I could notice restlessness in many moments. Am I also seeing that awareness is what knows that restlessness arose, you know, came up? It was awareness that saw that. Am I noting that that arose? Or am I just so pissed that restlessness arose and that's such a compelling and old story for me that I didn't notice the other things. I didn't notice that wisdom might have even responded. So there's lots of things arising, but if we cling on to the restlessness as fundamentally wrong, that's what we're letting go of. We're letting go of the clinging because when we're contracted around something, there's no chance of freedom. So we can name them, but we also have to let them touch our hearts. This is where we can have a wise response. Because moment by moment we're training the heart to respond wisely. We're training ourselves to trust ourselves again. We're training. Yeah, just because there's the natural radiance of the unobscured heart doesn't mean it's not going to be a lot of work. Right? So we have to let them touch our hearts a bit and tenderize us. Because I want to be in a dynamic practice. And that means that sometimes I'll be hanging with a certain uh, feeling. Let's say I'm trying to do some metta and somebody will arise and let's say metta is not the first thing I feel. Yeah? Fair? I might feel very contracted upon the thought of this person. And so what's the appropriate response? Well, contraction is rather painful. So maybe compassion might be called for. So can we trust are training the heart enough to respond wisely to experience. So we can each reflect on which one of these calls out to us, which way do we avoid 
not as a way to judge ourselves, but just as a way to deepen our understanding of the patterns that we're working with. We might be able to see the beginning of it, the life of it, maybe the death of it, or maybe only one part of it. You know, the wanting or the doubt, whatever it is. Another, I always like to kind of put a pin in wisdom whenever it's present. Because the part of me that knows I'm foggy is not foggy. Right? There's wisdom. So the part of me that's like, dude, you're not present, that's hella present. So it's like, yo, you can get lost in the, you can put all your attention on the part of that says that you're not present. Or you can include what else is happening? Because that's not the only thing that's happening. And not the only guest at the party. Even though the tunnel vision, it feels like it. So we have to open up a bit to see what else is happening and not give our undivided attention to any one part of it. It takes some flexibility of mind. But it starts with not assigning a really big meaning that this is present. Because if I think it's fundamentally wrong, or that it doesn't even have a right to exist, it's really hard for me to get in a right relationship with it. So we have to take that off the table. Say, okay, whatever's here is workable. It's come here to teach me something. How, how good of a student can I be? easy for the mind to cut right to something's wrong, right? It shouldn't be like this. This does not look like the pamphlets. Yeah. When we contract, we also cut off from any compassion that could arise. That clinging. So we try to slow down our reactions the reactions the, to push away, to get rid of, to change. And we see if we can muster up some actual curiosity, some interest. What is this? And very often, what the mind is offering up is not a worthy place for our attention. So we gotta check in on some other dimensions of our experience. Maybe I drop into the body and see, huh, where does doubt live in my body? Or where's the restlessness? You know, is there a center? Are there edges? Is it moving? Are there places in my experience that it's not? And maybe if I feel overwhelmed, I could put my attention on the places where I'm not so activated.
the more carefully we can watch it and get interested in it, the more information it'll give us. There's a lot of information in our patterns. And not the story I can make up about it. I saw a bumper sticker once that said, I stopped for the hindrances. I like that. We don't have much influence over what arises. We have some influence over how we respond. And that's what usually leaves the taste in my mouth. That's what I'm left with. It's like, oh, that was very frustrating. You know, like, uh, or, wow. There was a lot of acceptance there. You know, so things get to arise and pass away, and then what we're left with is mostly our response. Again, it doesn't have to be the only guest at the party, because we're rolling with our wholesome qualities too. We get to bring something to each moment, so the moment is presenting us what's arising, how are we meeting it, and we get to choose. Maybe we want a chaperone with us. <laughs> right? Maybe we get to bring something to the party as well. <coughs> I like to frame the, the practice in my life in general as a love affair. That's how it makes sense to me. Like I'm interested in being in a love affair with this moment. So when these things come up, how could I care about this? How could this be in the service of awakening? I love that question. How could this be in the service of awakening? Can I trust the heart, the training? Them by moment by moment responding with one of the flavors of love. Whether it's the loving kindness, compassion, appreciative joy, or equanimity. Part of what we wake up to is all the stories that we create about our experience. If every time I felt restless, I felt the pain of that restlessness, if I did that with enough care, there would be a compassionate response. In that way, restlessness would be leading me toward liberation. If every time it arose, I thought something was wrong, I questioned everything, I tried to fix it, which is really impossible because it's not broken, that would lead me to a lot of suffering. So we have to be careful about what we make things mean 
what meaning do we assign to experience? Stephen, uh, one of my first teachers, he used to talk about, he used to ask a room like this, yeah, would anybody wear a, a helmet that just broadcasted your thoughts? No takers. <laughs> Zero. Right? Why? We're not thinking the thoughts. Not, you know, you're not thinking them. They're just kind of happening. But we take them to mean something about us. Or maybe we could, right? It's not like that with dreams. I don't take my dreams as some kind of conclusion about who I am or you know, where I am in my practice. Or so it's interesting, our relationship to what arises. And so when we talk about like not taking it personally, when I look back <laughs> around this part, around... Um, making up stories and then acting like they're true. It feels like I would just, uh, I'd have an experience and it was like, I would just build a cardboard DMV and then I'd just stand there. Once in a while, i throw my hands up. This sucks. This a terrible system. It's like, Experience is always trying to convince us that it's always going to be like this. You know, you, you found the one thing in the universe that's not impermanent. <laughs> I mean, we could all laugh. This is so silly, right? But that's the way it threatens us. It's like, no, you're always going to feel like this, dude. It, does, it doesn't matter how many of these mountains you sit on, dude. This is who you are. <laughs> what, where is a worthy place for our attention? Hmm. We have to let in the possibility that whatever we think is in the way is the way. We keep coming back to this moment because this is the only one where love can be alive, where, where I can actually be free. It's not going to happen in three months. Never underestimate the power of compassionately recognizing what's going on. If you can't do that, try to not make it worse. You know? Try to keep a sense of humor about this whole thing. Because <laughs> it's way too serious to be taken seriously. Yeah. We need that kind of levity. So here's the recap. 
Try to uh, recognize things as they arise. Not just by noting, but allowing it to touch the heart. Do your best to not cling or take it too personally. Remember that it doesn't have to be the only thing that's happening. What we are letting go of is the clinging. What we're mostly clinging to is our stories and our beliefs. And when love is present, anything is possible. Just keep that in mind. You know, I've seen, like, you know, we, we see it sometimes. Like, I look at YouTube things and I could see, like, a mother picking up a car to get her kid out. That can't happen. But it does. Because when love is present, anything is possible. So we could be in this conversation internally, however we would like. We could orient toward ourselves like we're kind of a pain in the ass or that we're in a love affair. We get to decide the tone of that. We get to train in continually working that habit. As Spring was talking about this morning, what are we in the habit of telling ourselves? Wishing ourselves well? Cool. I appreciate your time and attention. Here I sit for a moment.
enjoy your walking. We'll be back in here at nine, and I believe there is a guitar in the building. Just saying. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.